0: Hey, JBO, Welcome to the OnPad podcast. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So uh, in this conversation, I'd love to get into your backstory, uh, how you got to where you are today. But maybe to begin with, let's actually start with with your current role. So you work at Microsoft, you're a principal security researcher. So give us a sense of what your day-to-day routine, or maybe what what does a typical week look like for you?
1: yeah, I think it's, it's a bit hard to describe because I do many different uh, things. I switch switch hats, if that makes sense, a lot of like quite frequent quite frequently. I think there are cases where I would look at, first of all, my role is a basically security architect. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you have defender. And when you say defender these days because of marketing and stuff like that, it, it, it's a bit complicated. But imagine like an EPP and EDR, so pre-bridge and post breach, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint kind of thing. Uh, so, so I, I'm a research architect for Defender for Endpoint, and that means that, that I mostly care about the things that we want to get from an operating system mm-hmm. and that have security significance in order to basically catch bad guys, right? Yeah. That's the idea. So for instance, and that changes between operating systems, technologies, and whatnot, because my role is not limited to Windows. So I would do security architecture that is related to Windows, Linux, Mac, Android, iOS, Chrome OS, IoT, those kind of stuff. So it's a broad role. And that's why I mentioned that I switch hats many times on one day I might look at Android and ARM architecture, and on the other day, I would look at Intel and then macOS, right? Even though they run on ARM as well these days. And on the third day, I might look at MIPS and some, I don't know, router or something. So when I say I look at, it means that I basically do a couple of things. First of all, I try to understand the trends that attackers are are going with and try to understand the commonalities between different things uh, uh, and try to get. Understand whether we can get that optic from an operating system or architecture, or whatever. The second thing that I do is uh, is to challenge our own our own detectors and blue teams internally, which sometimes is being done by simulations, red teaming, vulnerability and stuff like that. Uh, and I do other stuff as well, like I still own options once in a while, like more doing like the blue part as well. Mm-hmm. And there are other things that I do, but that's how my week might look like. So on day one, I might do own some, I don't know, signature or detection. Yeah. Day two, I might do some vulnerability research and implement something and test it against our product. And on day three, I might have more like an architectural role when I start to understand. I try to understand, let's say, how attackers are moving between different computers, for instance, mm-hmm. or how attackers might try to tamper with security products or stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So really a wide-ranging role. And and I see that also you are very present at conferences and you you published some of your findings as well. What,
1: mm-hmm.
0: How much of your role does that take up?
1: So surprisingly, not that much. Okay. So the conferences and stuff like that is usually what I... First of all, it's like a new thing for me. I didn't used to do that like until two years ago. Most of the stuff that I've done was only kept internally. I think sharing with the community is something that I enjoy doing. And I think I see a lot of, I get a lot of support from Microsoft doing those things these days, which didn't used to be like that in the past. So I'm actually pretty pretty grateful for the change of heart. Yeah, I have. I would say that I have a huge list of stuff that I want to explore or, and research, other by myself. Or usually, what I would do is hijack people from different teams and convince their managers hey, I want that person to help me investigate whatever. And if we find something good, we publish the results. If not, then we don't publish the results, but at least internally we document because that's what research is, right? Mm-hmm. Usually, it's failure. Yeah. So I do those usually I try to keep my calendar pretty clean. That's something a bit atypical in, in big corporations like Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, I actually cancel a lot of meetings mm-hmm. just to have like my own focus time. Mm-hmm. And I have I usually have projects where I, I we try to assess, let's say, a security solution or some solution that might look architecturally interesting. And if the assessment goes well then fine. If if not then we would do a responsible disclosure. We never drop zero days or something like that. Yeah. And then, if we believe that there would be interest to the community, then we would publish our results. Obviously, the very trivial things like don't get published.
2: Yeah.
1: Finding a lame denial of service somewhere like no one cares about. Most folks wouldn't care about. We, we like there is no point.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I try to do at least a couple of days each week. And sometimes I, I don't really get to do a couple of days, but it, on average, I try to do, a little, let's say a day, a week or something like that. Okay. And those research periods are actually, because you, you have to stop research at some point. You can't research something for a year. Yeah. So usually I try to limit the research topic to three weeks or, or four weeks, mm-hmm. something like that. And you get like a spidey sense, if that makes sense, on what is more interesting versus the stuff that is more trivial when you look at software. Yeah. So try to be very conscious and very effective. And very mindful of, of our time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And when you said clean calendar, so I'm curious to dig into the, what does a clean calendar mean for you? Is it is that having like a, a full day blocked for for research where there's no. <laughs> I
1: wish. No, I uh, no that's. I wish I had uh, clean calendars. To be honest, uh, Microsoft and our organization actually have a thing called Day of Learning, where basically they would force everyone, managers, whatnot, to clear their calendars. Mm-hmm and have folks learn something new. Obviously, it has to do anything, like it has to do something with something relevant to to our industry. You can't just say, hey, I want to learn to play the guitar or something. (laughs) So in many cases, I would use that day Um, and that happens uh, once or sometimes even twice a month. So I'd use that day, obviously, for that kind of deep research. Commonly also happens on Fridays it's more like a chill time yeah. that's good for everyone but i try to block my calendar on on work days as well generally i try to keep it down to three meetings a day at most mm-hmm. uh, with meetings i would actually stop meetings before their time which we see that there is no point in a meeting anymore just say okay everyone gets 30 minutes back and bye bye yeah also if there are meetings and this is the principle that i, I you know i'm trying to stick with if there are meetings that I can't contribute to or be contributed by, mm-hmm. then there is no point in me being in, a, in that meeting and I can just look at a document or summarize over email or something in my own free time. Yeah. So that's something I really try to make happen. It's very difficult to do in a corporation, yeah. but you, you work in your little corner of the world, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. Cool. Cool. So now I'd love to go back to how your whole journey started. So where did you grow up?
1: Mm. So I grew up in Israel. I was born in 1986, which is a long time ago. Grew up in Haifa, which is like a Northern city in Israel, having a regular childhood in Israel being, I guess like I I wasn't exposed to technology very strongly as opposed to many of my peers, Mm -hmm. like a lot of the folks that like in Microsoft or in all these in these industries, no matter if Microsoft or not, yeah. they come from families that are that very tech involved or have like scientists or whatnot. My parents were a bus driver and then and they're retired now, but the bus driver and then like a nurse. So have have really nothing to do with with those kind of technologies. But but when I got my first computer, I was like, yeah, that's probably what I want to do. And It wasn't my computer, it was like the family's computer, (laughs) if that makes sense.
0: And when was that? We
1: we all had to... Yeah, I think I was in like fourth grade or third grade. Yeah, fourth grade, I would say something, or perhaps third grade. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it it was an Intel 386, I think. We had MS-DOS with Norton Commander, uh, and mostly I I used that to play games, Mm -hmm. obviously, as a kid. Uh, but then one time I remember one game where you had the high scores of the game. And basically I, I accidentally actually opened the file, didn't know what I was doing, but I opened the file and I noticed like all the top scores were actually in the file. So then I was like, I wonder if I could change that. <laughs> and then I changed that and they put my name on top of the list with gazillion like scores or something.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and th- that's probably where I started. Yeah. Uh, and I have I have actually another funny story, is that when I was in fifth grade I I wasn't good but I thought I was good at, at drawing, mm-hmm. right? Like comics and stuff like yeah. that. And my parents sent me to this after school class or program where basically you could you could draw like your your cartoons or whatever in in like a black pen Mm -hmm. and then you had this place that would scan that's that was like a really cool technology they would scan the thing and then you could use photoshop to actually color like whatever you drew yeah and i really enjoy that and then i asked them like if to register me to to an advanced class of the, the same thing and accidentally instead of registering me to an advanced photoshop class they registered me to an advanced programming class.
0: And mm-hmm. I didn't know anything
1: about programming. It was C. Yeah. And I, I came there and again, it's like an advanced for kids, at least. It, it, it was an advanced programming class. Yeah. And it looked so cool that I was like, no matter what, I'm staying here. Like I'm not doing, I'm not doing Photoshop anymore. I want to do C. Yeah. So that's another like happy accident, I would say, that got me really focused on computers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So video games got you your first experience thinking around with stuff under the hood. And then, and then this, this, yeah, fortunate, fortunate mistake that introduced you to programming.
1: Yeah. 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 And I loved programming ever since then. I actually came from like a programming background more like more than security research kind of background yeah. for many years Yeah. right like when i was uh, 16 i landed my first job and uh, i'm not ashamed to say that i, I worked as a php developer in, in, in some startup company yeah. worked from home before it was cool <laughs> yeah and that that was good experience i believe that none of the none of the systems that i used to program back in the day are alive um, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope they don't because <laughs> that was like very inefficient code with probably tons of bugs, yeah. but it's like good experience for, for your first job really yeah. in an industry. Yeah.
0: Yes. I'm curious when I ask people for advice is always so dependent on context, right? But you of course have perfect context about who you were before. So if you were to give advice to that 16 year old self, who was just getting that first role, what would it be?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. It's more like a f- philosophical thing because th- there is, we all have limited time and energy to do certain things. Like I made my choices and I'm pretty like content with them, but there are certain things that you, like when you're in your thirties, like I am right now, you're like, oh, I wish I w- I, I did more of that in my twenties or or in my teen, teenage, like teenage uh, time. Yeah. So. Probably, my advice would do would be to do less computers and more socializing, yeah. but from a professional perspective, it's always hard. I think um, the best advice that I could give not only to my sixteen year old self or but actually to anyone is at that age, unless you're like you have to work because you're hungry or something like that, I hope that's not the case for anyone. Do what makes you happy and enthusiastic. Yeah about your work, and then everything else will probably work out, especially in this industry, which is still, you still have very high salaries and stuff like that. Mm. And I try to keep that until even today, where basically um, we all have our weighted sums, if that makes sense, Mm. when you choose, let's say your role, or when you choose the the kind of like profession that you want to have. And some of it is related to income, but other things are related to Can I impact like customers or, or can I change the world or some parts of the world? At least I, I don't want to use the term change the world because come on, it's, it's software. (laughs) But can you, I don't know, can you like be happy that you develop professionally if you like solving hard problems and so on? So try to find, and always, by the way, once a year, try to think about whether you want to change that weight at some, but always try to think about what your next goal is. What would make you happy? Yeah and try to adjust yourself. So that's probably a good advice yeah. for anyone, not just 16 year olds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when you were 16, when you were your teenage spending all that time with computers, was it more like a drive to succeed professionally? Or was it that, that you genuinely enjoyed it and like you enjoyed that more than anything else?
1: I think both of them at the same time. Okay. I really enjoyed creating something new. I thought that it was really amazing, that concept that you can do something, you can give something instructions and it will just do them forever. Mm -hmm. And I try to apply as much as, as as much as I can, I apply that concept as much as I can, even these days, like there are certain things that I see in, in our industry that people are just repeating what I would only describe as grunt work. And I'm like, you should work a bit harder perhaps to automate something, but then it would happen forever. I don't want to talk about LLMs or stuff like that. People like automating their lives, (laughs) but doing repeated tasks, like is not a fun thing for me, but doing, building something new, having people use it and then extending the, extending it in a way that, 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 that would make me invest my time in something, in something better is something that I really enjoyed. Again, when I was working as a PHP developer and what I built is basically what uh, Wix is doing these days or or building like a um, kind of a way to create your own website, Mm -hmm. right? And customize it with what is being, what is known today as WYSIWYG, what you you get. And I really like that approach. Like you don't just solve like one problem. You don't just do one website, you do it for everyone customizable and then you can work on other stuff yeah so that's what i really enjoyed and i still enjoy these days as well a lot of the security industry likes to highlight a lot of the hey i broke someone else's tool
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right or broke someone else's software but they don't talk a lot about how you build certain tools for yourself to automate a lot of the work again keep in mind that i i try to be very conscious of my time and i don't have a lot of time to do free, free form research. Mm -hmm. So I end up building a lot of tools and a lot of stuff that help me automate my work. So I still enjoy that quite a lot. And I think most good security researchers that have been in the field for a long time, try to automate a lot of the work that they do. That they do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the beauty and power of code, right? It gives us so much leverage in a way that no other generation has ever had. You can build these tools that to your point, can automate repetitive work, so we don't need
1: people to do. Yeah, that. yeah, and the best thing is that it's not true always because we rely on other people's software, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but generally, if something doesn't work, it's usually your fault, and that that's actually a good thing. Yeah. That give makes you responsible. It's not, it's not because someone didn't like you or someone didn't want to do. Like your computer just does what you tell it to do, yeah. right? Again, usually it's not always the case, but usually it's your fault. And I actually like that thing, yeah. right? I, I, that concept, yeah. Like you're in charge of whatever happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cool. You're sitting in the Pacific Northwest of the US right now, right? And as you mentioned, you were you grew up in Haifa. Talk us through that journey of going from Israel to the US. What got you to to where you are today.
1: Yeah. First of all, like I was born in Haifa, but after uh, when you reach 18 in in Israel, you're basically supposed to go to the army. I was in a different program where basically the army would pay for your bachelor's degree, Mm -hmm. which you start doing when you're 18. And then when you finish your bachelor's degree, you basically go to the army and then some, so I ended up being six and a half years in the, in the military. It sounds like military, like I'm, I'm running on hills with, you know, M16s or something, but I was really a computer geek there. Yeah. Not that kind of military. And that's around that time is where I, when I moved from Haifa to center Israel around the Tel Aviv area, hmm. um, that's also the time where I met my wife. And then after, after I, I finished my ar- army service, I worked for some time in offensive security. And then I was like, okay, We're done and and my wife and I started talking about the option of relocation uh, from Israel specifically to an English speaking country. And we thought about either Australia, Canada or the US, we decided on the US with various reasons including we we felt that the culture in israel is sometimes like a beehive if that makes mm-hmm. sense like there is a lot of activity which is a good thing but also a lot of pressure sometimes
2: yeah
1: and one time when my wife and i were traveling i think it was to slovenia we actually we were hiking and stuff like that and one of the things that we did uh, one night is just open up the tv just to see like what these guys like what they have on their tv yeah. and I'm not kidding their news was basically uh, a horse that crosses some street or something that was on the news yeah. and i'm like yeah i want to be in a country where that that is the news right like a horse crossing <laughs> some street now we relocated to the us which the news is not across <laughs> a horse crossing the street yeah but it's way more relaxed than israel and we're very happy with that decision mm-hmm. and now we also have a kid so we actually feel the disadvantages because we don't have, we don't have our extended families here and whatnot, yeah. but all in all, I have to say that it's, it's a better environment to raise a kid. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say any good or bad things about other countries. Like everyone has their own choices.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but for us, it's the right decision. Like knowing that my kid like is in, is in a more uh, relaxed environment, um, knowing that i'm in a more relaxed environment and so on is is giving us a peace of mind yeah
0: and do you see that as a model for the future where knowledge workers pick up and shift to locations that better suit their Mm. preferences
1: not always and those things change with time just like the weighted sum that i said Mm -hmm. not, not everyone wants to make those kind of choices it's no matter where you go, when you're an immigrant, you would probably stay an immigrant forever. I thought that the Israeli culture and American culture, like generally Israelis are, are very affected by the U.S. culture. So I thought, yeah, I mean, we would do fine. But then when you relocate, you discover that you're more, in, this, in my case, more Israeli than I thought. Yeah. And it meets you, like, uh, gives you some surprises and teaches you a lot about yourself. Yeah. So you always feel like you're an immigrant and it's a tough decision to make uh also being far away from your extended family and so on so I don't know if it's for everyone uh I would say that there are certain advantages if you're willing to move uh to what you consider a better place for yourself but again if a better place for yourself is your home country then you should do something in fact I know a lot of Israelis that relocated and after five or six or seven or even 10 or 15 years decided that they want to go back and they did so it's for everyone really, it's, uh, sorry, it's not for everyone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and you've seen, you've seen life in the US and life at Microsoft pre-COVID now, I, mean, I don't want to say semi post-COVID, right? Has ha, Are things radically different for you in your day-to-day life between let's say mid-2019 and now mid-2023?
1: Yes, but not because of COVID. Okay. So my wife and I got, we got pregnant yeah. during COVID. Okay. So that's, and, and that's our first kid and only kid currently. So that, that, that's the major life change that we had. COVID had a lot of implications on us, but it's nowhere in, way near becoming a parent, which has a lot of interesting challenges. Yeah. So that that's mostly what changed. I would say that other things have changed that were affected by COVID. For instance, I still work from home most of the time, like the vast majority of the time I work from home. Yeah. Uh, the reason for that is because we chose to live in a place that is that was very far from the city because, like, we wanted like a more space for our kid mm-hmm. and perhaps a bit more security for him as well. Yeah. Uh, and during COVID time, everyone was fleeing away from the city, yeah. and we had like like currently I live in North Bend, which is like forty five uh, minute drive uh, without traffic to the office. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to save my commute. Again, I'm trying to be very mindful of my time. And I'm actually taking advantage of the fact that Microsoft, unlike other companies, uh, is is very lax on those like work from home conditions Mm. these days, with other companies, you hear a lot of pressure on employees getting back to the office. And I understand why, but for me, it works best, especially because I want to spend more time with my kid. I want to help around the house. Like I I want to do all those things, not just, not just like drive to work and then come back and be exhausted. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And does that give you the flexibility also? I don't know if you're visiting Israel for a month or two to, do you do that as well? Or do you just.
1: No, I, uh, I want to visit basically, I, I don't like flying and I don't like, uh, long visits anyway. Yeah. I, uh, last time I was in Israel, I was uh, for a, a bit more than a week, like eight days or something. It was more than enough. When you relocate, like in the country that you relocate to you, you feel that, Hey, I'm more Israeli than I thought, yeah. but after a while, when you come back to Israel, you're like, Oh, I can't believe I used to live here. It's like the culture is different from what I know now. Yeah. So. That that's a price that you have to pay for relocating. Yeah, uh, it, it's not that it wasn't good; it was very, very like a very good thing that visit. But basically, I don't like very long visits. Mm-hmm. And these days, like I, I, to be honest, I just miss my wife and kid too much. And my kid is 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 no not even three, and I don't think it would do good for us to have him having those like being those very long flights yeah. in plural because there is no direct flight. So I want to visit with him. I want to visit Israel for an extended amount of time. But currently, uh, currently that's not something that I can do, but Microsoft generally, yeah, there is like a lot of companies talk about like work-life balance, Mm -hmm. and I think that Microsoft is really, really cares about those things. I'll give an example. When my kid was around a year old, he, we discovered that he was, that he had very severe allergy to penicillin. And he, like during an entire month, he actually was home. He didn't go to daycare and he was, I don't know if in pain or not is the right word, but let's call it scratchy and stuff like that. And we couldn't really help him. So I actually worked very little for almost a month. Like I, I still worked, but not a lot in terms of hours and my productivity kind of fell and Microsoft was very understanding. Right? And, and understood that it's like a special situation and not like I didn't get any pressure from anyone to deliver anything really
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's I really like that I feel that it's like a relationship they trust me I trust them yeah. so so I'm yeah I'm actually using that by the way I'm also using that these days for instance I want to spend time with my kids so after, let's say between four and 7 PM is my time with my kid, no matter what, mm-hmm. and then only after, you know, after a while, he doesn't go to sleep at seven anymore, but <laughs> after a while I, I would actually, I would actually go back to work and finish some stuff that I worked on before. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you really have that flexibility to, yeah, to, to make things work mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. yeah. So now looking back at your 15 plus years into your career, if you were to think about some of the biggest influences, the biggest positive influences in your career? Is there any particular individual or maybe team or even company that comes to mind?
1: It's a bit, it's a bit, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. I think that my time in Microsoft, I've been in Microsoft for seven years, have been really incredible in terms of the influence that I get when you work in such a big company. I got as someone who's not a. US citizen yet I got to present stuff to the Department of Defense mm-hmm. right I got to I got to talk to someone in the Navy who I don't know his name like he he introduced himself as captain yeah. so you see that's exciting I think for again it depends on what excites you yeah. I got to do to deal with different technologies I mentioned macOS, Linux whatever I also found a bunch of interesting things in Hyper-V, I messed around with IoT and USD on Windows. I I, I touched so many things and I enjoy having a variety of stuff to do. So my time in Microsoft has been really incredible. Mm -hmm. My time before that was also very interesting and contributed quite a lot to my developmental research. When you do offensive security, you can get a very good understanding of not only finding, let's say, a vulnerability or something like that, but also make it very robust uh, and reliable. Yeah. That's sometimes in our industry, you hear about someone finding a vulnerability or whatnot, but it only works like 10% of the cases or stuff like that. So there is a real form of art in making those things reliable and stable that I really enjoy. But I guess my best time was actually in the military. Mm. And it's hard to pinpoint why. I think it's a different time if you think about it, because again, I was mostly a bachelor. I had a lot of time uh, on my hands and more importantly, I worked with a lot of very talented young folks. These days in the industry, it's hard to describe, but in the industry these days, some folks work at like Google or Microsoft or Amazon or Facebook or even like the smaller companies security researchers and they're really amazing but the best thing uh, about the, the military is that they actually in israel at least that they can they recruit everyone mm-hmm. and they funnel all the computer gigs to two or three major places yeah. so you get to spend a lot of time with folks that most of them are really smarter than mm-hmm. you you learn a lot from them you work insane amount of hours and writing very reliable software or doing something that is really when I say when people say military grade, it's usually just to make fun of something, but it was really military grade in the best way that I can describe. And also, you have a sense of mission that you don't get in other companies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If I'm being brutally honest and it's it's not a surprise. All those like for profit companies in the world, including, including Microsoft, again, it's not some, something to be ashamed of. Their goal is eventually making money, right? Um, if you end up making something more secure, um, it's great, but it's, let's say, to prevent the loss of money, for instance, right? Whereas in the military, your goal was a bit different. You had more like a like a mission uh, that, that is not tightly bound to, to anything related to funding or whatnot. And everyone understood that in their bones even. So I miss that, mm. miss something that is, let's say, a, a mission. And a, a mission that that is not focused on money.
2: Yeah,
1: I would think that there are still companies that do that. For instance, the companies that try to find a cure for diseases or try to find the new way to to get into space. There is a mission behind it, and there is still a mission even in Microsoft or other companies that are for profit. Yeah. but I felt that in the military, the, the mission was stronger, perhaps because the Funding and whatnot was weaker. Yeah, yeah yeah. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, So I think we have a sense of how you got your role at military. How did you land your role in Microsoft? Did you just cold apply? Was it, uh, how did that come about?
1: Mm. Uh, I, we decided that we wanted to relocate, uh, and generally I, I was looking at some of the bigger companies and Microsoft was one of them and. I interviewed with, I think five or six different companies and Microsoft, I think had one of the best interviews that I remember. It was a very, uh, very tough set of interviews also because uh, my team was actually here in the US. I was still in Israel. So the entire interview happened 2 AM, which is not a great time to interview, let me tell you that. But I was very impressed by the team what they're doing what their mission is and what their skill sets are and I wanted I I was like yeah this is where I belong so that kind of drew me towards that direction also after doing offensive security you want to do a bit of shift and work for the like defensive companies no matter if you do offensive or defensive security internally Mm but but you don't have a uh let's say customer that would use your stuff for whatever they like it's not that kind of offensive security yeah so i'm I'm very happy with that decision that that kind of what drew me towards microsoft okay
0: got it cool so i just have a couple of rapid fire questions now so your handle is yo jbo what's the story behind that
1: (laughs) uh it's so i didn't i didn't used to have twitter or x or however it's called these days and i was told i should get one and there was one one person back in in israel when i I worked in uh, microsoft israel one year before i relocated to the us and every morning she was like first of all i started calling myself jbo because my my full name is jonathan or being like two words but one last name Mm -hmm. it was very difficult for americans to pronounce so I was like, J- just call me JBO, it's easier. And that person, every morning, like whenever she saw me, she was like, Hey, yo, JBO. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's the first thing that I heard this morning. Probably that should be my handle.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That, let me ask you about, of course, the listeners are not going to be able to see this, but there's a, a very nice piece of artwork behind you. What is it? What is the story behind that?
1: Oh, it's a poster of the movies of the movie hackers from the nineties, which I really liked as a kid, Yeah. Um, just a poster. You can find it on Amazon. Okay.
0: Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so if, if people would like to find out more about the work you do or just follow what you're up to, where would you point them to?
1: I'm not being very transparent, but I, I, I post on GitHub on first of all, I post on Twitter or X again, however <laughs> you want to call it once in a yeah. while. I also have, uh, I have GitHub repositories and specifically a GitHub IO repository mm-hmm. where I basically keep, like I maintain most of the publications that I've done all the public stuff eventually. So that that's a good source. And more than that, like I, there are a lot of people that would get like messages over Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, and would never respond. I actually read all of them and respond to most of them unless they're really, you know, something about bitcoins or something that i would never respond to i actually try to respond a lot so if people really want to ask me questions they can just engage in those platforms and i usually would answer you know after less than 24 hours realistically
0: yeah i can confirm that because i wrote you and (laughs) you replied to me very quickly so i can confirm that all right jbo thank you so much for your time this has been awesome to hear your story about your personal and professional path thank you so much for sharing
1: Thank you. Thank you again for having me.